0: Visit our website at org, where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker, Nikki. Do you want to be timed at all? Or go yeah, I'd love to be timed. So what, can um, so what is that? Is that for mm-hmm. can, you, can you do it like 12 hours 12, 12 12. Yeah, sure. I mean, we might as well make it a twelve theme. <laughs> okay. Hi guys. I'm Nikki Compulsive Eater. Hi Nikki. Whoa, I mean, this feels like graduate program. My god, there's a podium and a microphone and a bottle of water for me and everything. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be humble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hi guys. Um My name is Nikki, compulsive eater. Um, Let's start at the beginning. Um, um, Can I move this thing? It appears I can. Okay. So um, I first came into Overeaters Anonymous, um, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20-ish years ago. Um, That's not the abstinence that I'm celebrating right now, but there was a period of time when I was around 19, 20, somewhere in there, years old, um, that I came to Overeaters Anonymous and um, just walked into a meeting and just felt like I was at home, Um, heard my story over and over and fell in love with the fellowship, um, but was very young and um, very recalcitrant, which I've Since looked up in the dictionary, it means a stubborn resistance to authority. Um, And I was um, not interested in anybody's higher power. And I was very interested in fellowship. I was interested in making friends. um, But I was not interested um, in, like, getting a great sponsor and working the steps and doing all of that useful stuff. Um, So, consequently, that uh, journey, in a way, lasted about um, three years, I think. And I'll tell you a little bit more of that um, when I get back to it in a second. Um, I, I would I would say that that um, compulsive eating started for me teenager-ish kind of years. Um, I, I do not, for whatever reason, identify as a person that entered the world overeating or obsessed with my body um, or particularly obsessed. Period. Um, but I learned. <laughs> oh, I learned. Um, But uh, I think that somewhere around 13, 14, 15, um, I started little dabbling things. Um, I had been a gymnast as a little girl um, and a dancer for my whole childhood and naturally um, was very lean, very athletic. And um, I I got a lot of um, attention, whatever, praise, blah, 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 something for my physical shape or fitness or whatever. Um, uh, some from people at large. A lot from my mom, who I believe also has this disease um, and was obsessed with food and body. And so there was a lot of being an athlete and a dancer, a lot of attention on my body. Um, I, I believe that the addiction for me started there. Um, for, whatever, for whatever reason, that's very clear to me. I don't know why, but... Um, I, I definitely can have no relief with the food obsession as long as the body is obsessed. Obsession is still there for me because that really feels like my primary addiction. Um, at about 13, 14, 15 years old, when my body started to change naturally, um, the my first feeling was slam on the brakes, you know, um, instead of being something that um, – a normie little girl would be excited about or pleased about, oh, you know, I'm developing, I'm getting curvy, whatever. This is all really bad news to me and highly unacceptable. Um, and so I, I think that was the beginning of the end for me. I think that's kind of when I first started, um, when I first um, had that feeling of lack of acceptance about what I looked like, is when I started to pick up the food. Um, it's, it's when I started to diet um, my first diet, I was probably about 14, 15, um, and um, I never saw the end of that. Like, I never succeeded. There's, there's really no success in my story. Um, it pretty much, in those teen years, I began the process of trying to take the weight off, and I essentially put it on. Um, and there was some yo-yoing along the way, but I really never figured out any magic formula um, to find the perfect diet and just be relieved of the obsession. Um, This went on for a number of years um, with a lot of yo-yoing, went to college and gained the freshman 15 thing that I know a lot of people go through, Um, uh, continued to dance, but um, the, more, the bigger my disease got and the bigger I got, the more insecure I got about myself, the more insecure I got about my dancing, and that started to disappear gradually. Um, when I was um, probably about 19-ish, as I mentioned, I think, is when I first came into OA for the first time, um, I was not um, hugely overweight at the time, although in my mind I was. Um, I I was binging, and uh, what it looked like most of the time for me in those days, and for a lot of years, actually, was a lot of kind of controlled eating throughout the week, Um, dieting, detoxing, cleansing, starving, whatever you want to call it, and then the weekend would roll around, and usually the weekend, but not necessarily, and then all bets were off, and I would get into that, um, can I swear on the Internet? (laughs) (laughs) what I call "fuck it mentality, which is just all bets are off. And um, that's what I would really get into the food. Um, When I um, entered um, a meeting, I loved it immediately. I loved you guys immediately. I was so grateful that you were here. And um, I heard my story over and over. And this catches me up to where I left off. I didn't really get a great sponsor. I kind of dabbled a little bit. But I never really worked steps. I never really got better. I hung I um, hung around the rooms for about two or three years. Um, I traveled with the program. I lived in London for about a year. Um, and kind of same story. I loved you guys. I made friends. Um, I went to meetings. No step work. No accidents No recovery. Um, no God. I mean, I had one, but not one that I really identified. Um And so I left program, and as I got a little bit older, I started picking up other tools so that instead of constantly indulging in, like, binging binging in crazy, junky kind of madness, I, I got into, like, the alternative kind of health and fitness arena, and I started seeing lots of outside specialist doctors, but all in a kind of new-agey way that got me into, like, detoxing and cleansing, and I started doing colonics like they were going out of style. Um, If there's anyone in the room that um, has not uh, gotten into that form of our disease, um, that type of bulimia with the laxatives and the colonics and all of that, if you have the opportunity to avoid it, I would recommend avoiding it. It's sloppy. Um, It's sloppy. It's high-maintenance. And it's sick, and it's hard, and it's a rough bottom. It's a really, really rough bottom, and it takes a lot of uh, controlling. It takes a lot of controlling, and um, if any of you are laxative abusers, you know there's a lot of, like, timing you've got to figure out. If I drink this tea or I take this pill at whatever blah, blah, blah time, I have to time it out for when it kicks in, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it ain't pretty, people. It's <laughs> not pretty. Um, and that's where I was headed. And, and all, in, all in the health industry, you know, all like in the really kind of new agey health industry, um, and lots of cleanses. And I, I was abstaining from everything under the sun. I mean, you name it, there was just this epic list of, of foods that I thought I needed to avoid. Um, and then the inevitable binge would follow eventually. Um, when I was um, 29 years old um, I had been out of away for probably 8 or 10 years and um, I was singing and dancing on cruise ships uh, for a living and I was touring a lot and um, during one of the contracts my uh, my father got sick with brain cancer and um, what I found was that I couldn't really grieve that. I couldn't really be present for what that experience was like at the time. What it meant for me was that I was too fat. Everything translated to my food or my body. Everything was, uh, you know, I, I'm in a pain. I should eat. Um, my self-esteem is low. I should lose weight. You know, it was a constant battle with that. So um, my memory... Unfortunately and fortunately of my father's illness and his death is clouded in a lot of um, food and body fog. Um, I say fortunately because ultimately it led me to the bottom, um, which got me here. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So having said that, it was worth it. So if there is anybody in the room in the food and in the obsession right now, from my experience, it will be worth it. It will very much be worth it. And... um, to the degree that your bottom is humiliating and degrading and you reach that point of incomprehensible demoralization that we know really well, to the degree that you really embrace the depths of that bottom and remember it, I think can be the degree to which you can recover. Um, And I think that those bottoms are very, very valuable to us. Um, So uh, my dad's dying. I'm singing and dancing on a ship. I'm not present for the whole thing. I come home to bury my father and say goodbye, and um, I finish a contract on a cruise ship, and at the time, I remember my, my sister decided to join like a bereavement wor- workshop or group or something, for um, other families of cancer patients and stuff like that. And she found a lot of comfort in that. And I thought, gosh, that sounds great. I'd love to do something like that, except that the people that I identify with are not as much the families of cancer patients and people who have lost loved ones. The people that I identify with are the people that when they're in pain, they obsess with food and body. Um, And so I came back into Overeaters Anonymous. And something phenomenal that I noticed around that period of time is that My brain was so clouded before I came back into OA that I couldn't read, and I'd always been a voracious reader. And I I found that like I was so self-obsessed and self-centered for that period of time that I couldn't like pick anything up and read it and care and take any interest in anything. And um, when I picked up, you guys know the Brown Book, it's like the AA Big Book equivalent. It's our stories. And it's not a book that I actually refer to that much anymore because um, I, use the, I use the books now, like the AA 12 and 12 and the big book, that give me a lot of step work. But when I was a newcomer and read those stories in the Brown book, I, I mean, I just I could not believe the appetite I had for what was in those pages. I mean, it's just back to the voracious reading, you know. Um, came back into program, got a sponsor quickly, a good one. Um, started working steps immediately. Um I did get abstinent right away. I did work the steps right away. Um, uh, Please understand, um, I am not saying this with arrogance. I'm saying this with the experience. Oh, perfect timing because I'm just about to get into what happened. Um, um, I say this with experience, not with any arrogance. That um, I did it wrong. (laughs) I did it without having a great sponsor. I did it without working the steps. I got no no results. I got a great sponsor. I started working the steps like crazy. I got results very quickly. And when I say results, I mean serenity. I mean peace of mind. and I mean um, the ability to put down the fork a little sooner, you know. Um, so, yeah, I just had to pause for that for a second because it's been that way ever since and it's really cool. Um, I'm really grateful for that. Um, I, I want to talk about the steps a little bit. Um, before, um, nah, disregard that. I had a thought. to get that. Um, step one was and probably remained for many years the most difficult step for me. Um, I am by nature self-centered, arrogant, um, I don't know, myself, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and... What's the expression? You know, the piece of shit that the world revolves around. Mm-hmm. I had that big time, um, low self-esteem, and the big pendulum swinging thing. So an admission of powerlessness is like absolutely contrary to my nature. I imagine it is for probably most of us. Otherwise, we maybe wouldn't necessarily be here. I don't know, but um, I found it really challenging. I had to pretend. I had to pretend I believed in step one, and it worked. Um, I had to. Yeah, I had to pretend that I was powerless over food. Um, I wrote a big, long food inventory as per my sponsor's direction. That really helped because I saw pages and pages and pages of um, uh, proof that I was a compulsive eater um, and that I was powerless over food. The compulsive eater part was easy for me. The powerlessness was difficult. Um, I did the writing. I acted as if I moved forward to step two. Um, Step two... I absolutely loved working. Um, my sponsor gave me this phenomenal assignment that goes around the rooms a little bit of kind of the, what happened, what it was like, and what it's like now kind of thing, except with your higher power. So basically it was like write about whatever concept of a higher power you've ever had in your life. You know, um, food, body, men, person that pissed you off on Tuesday, um, diets, blue jeans, Ex-boyfriend, you know, a guy in a long gray beard with staff that's God in heaven, whatever. Whatever the concept of the higher power was um, into what it is now, which is probably getting reasonably healthier. And then the concept of the higher power that is just beyond what I think I can even conceive. A higher power that is so loving, so big, um, so powerful, so wise, so has my best interest at heart, so has all of your best interest at heart. Um And I wrote about that higher power, and that's the higher power that I've been praying to um, for the last um, seven and a half, thank you, (laughs) for the last seven and a half years. Um, And uh, um, what works for me with that higher power is um, I don't hold my higher power accountable for all of the awful shit that goes on in the world. I kind of think that awful stuff just happens. Um, but I see my higher power as the opportunity to get out of it. I see my higher power as um, a way to get out of my ego, a way to be a service, a way to look you all in the eyes squarely. Um, I don't know, a way to be the best that I, that I can possibly be today. Um, I don't know, full of love, full of compassion. That's what my higher power can offer to me. So that was an easy thing to turn my will and my life over to, because I mean, what can I lose? There's there's really there's nothing to be lost um, in turning my will and life over to that. So step three followed with relative ease, given that my step two felt pretty satisfying. Um, Step four, um, it's a bear. It's true. (laughs) It's a big bear, and it's a pain in the butt, and it does require a lot of writing. Um, I got through it. I handed it over. I did not experience um, the catharsis that some people get out of it. Um, most of my experience with step work has been more like a long-term investment. Um, I have found very little of what I would get from food, which is, a, which is that immediate gratification. Like, I ate this frozen yogurt, whatever thing, and... Just like that, my physical state was different. My emotional state was different. Blah blah blah. I don't. I don't find that step work gets me that. I find that step work, which is something I like to remember actually as a sponsor, because sometimes my sponsees will be like looking for the magic pill, and I'm like, w- we're investing here. We're not. This is not magic. You know, this is like work these steps, and over time, my experience has been that your self esteem will be so much he- healthier. Um, and you will have such serenity, you will not want to go to the food. It's just not an option. It's not appealing anymore. Um, and that was my experience, you know, with step four. Not that it was something that um, when it was done I was elated, um, but that it was something very useful um, to contributing to my long-term recovery. Um, step six and seven um, are kind of personal faves of mine. Um because I think that I really eat over my defects of character, and I think that I am, as human beings are, so very highly defective. (laughs) And um, my sponsor had me write about each defect of character, um, which we actually pulled out of my fourth uh, fourth step. When I worked my fourth step, we did the old school big book, like four-column deal, and uh, the fourth column was, of course, my part in my particular resentments. And she had me look back at that fourth column, through my whole uh, inventory and kind of extract from that, okay, what are the prominent defects? What is showing up over and over and over again? And there was vanity and there was perfectionism and there was self-obsession. All the usual suspects, (laughs) the good stuff. Um, And she had me write about those at length. And um, specifically, she had me write about um, what they were doing to me. In other words, like how they were harming me. And then she had me write about what they were doing for me, like how they were serving me, which is a lot. I mean, those those defects are actually very, very helpful. Um, so I did a great deal of writing about that. Um, and she had me write about a spiritual alternative to each and every defective character. So say, for example, the defective character uh, was vanity, then what would be a good alternative to that might be um, selflessness, you know, um, or if the defective character was perfectionism, then acceptance would be a great alternative to that. And um, did the seven-step prayer, um, which I adore and still use regularly, and I'll I'll touch on in a minute how I I deal with these steps daily. Um, But I do, I, I did find that, it's so weird to have to say this to a room full of people, but I did find that, God really does remove a lot of defects of character. It's not a, like it's not a fiction, and it's it's such a strange thing to say, and 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 to say that and to say that I mean this in all humility, because it's not me. It's not that I uh, white knuckled and said I'm never going to X Y and Z again, or that I'm perfect today. I'm still deeply, deeply flawed, but um, I have great relief from. Defects of character that were driving me, you know, a lot of things that mattered so much just don't. Um, and there's there's a lot of freedom in that. Um, I don't think that I, for whatever reason, I don't I don't have that much to to say about step eight or nine. I did them. They're they're sort of um, a cursory step for me. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that wasn't my big. I think the most of the amends were to myself, although there certainly were plenty of things I had done to piss other people off and to hurt other people. But I don't remember. Um, yeah, I don't remember any huge revelations around those steps. Um, what I find more useful about amends now is the ten-step aspect of making amends immediately when they happen. Um, I love that. I find that really, really liberating that, um, I can be very short-tempered, and I, am I, I'm, I'm very quick to rise, and I find it with my husband, I find it with my girlfriend, I definitely find it with my mom, um, that it's, like, it's, I'm sensitive, it's very easy for me to get offended or upset, touchy, and just, whew, and I'm, like, through the roof, and, um, that's not gone, that's not lifted, it's there, it's better, it's a lot better, but it's not gone, um, But I have the capacity to immediately apologize for it, and I have to say it feels so good because I don't have to keep going through my day feeling like, well, did I, and did she, or did he, and I don't have to, like, sit around in obsession trying to control and manipulate my memory of how the thing went down. I can just go, I can just take quick inventory of it. I can just go, okay, this person said this pissed me off. That's that. You know, that was threatening to my self-esteem. Okay, what did I do? I was a bitch right back. It was, you know, I, whatever. I took a tone of voice. I said a nasty thing. And I can apologize for it. And um, it doesn't, it's weird. It has the opposite effect of what my disease thinks it's going to have. My disease thinks that I don't want to humble myself. I, I don't, I don't want to admit that I've been wrong because I'm somehow making myself more vulnerable to you. But my experience has been that it's exactly the opposite. That uh, upon admitting it, I'm actually not vulnerable. I actually feel like I'm back with my higher power, and whatever anyone else does, um, I it gets less relevant. Like I'm, I'm in integrity with my program and with my higher power, and I, I really love the way that feels. Um, consequently, my husband is one of the more apologized to people I <laughs> I mean, I don't know how lucky he is, because apparently I'm often enough lose my temper that I have to apologize. But he does he does get to be on the benefit of being on the receiving end of a lot of apologies, though. So, um, so um, step 11. Thought um, through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God. Um, I... Pray every morning on the toilet with the dental floss, um, um, which I guess is very appropriate for <laughs> a recovered uh, bu- uh, bulimic of laxatives, I guess. So um, it's just a morning ritual. I get up. I grab the dental floss. I have a seat. And while I'm flossing away, I'm starting with step one. I'm still powerless over food and body obsession. My life can still be unmanageable, blah, blah, blah. And I, I actually go through all 12 steps um, Theoretically every single morning, um, but it's definitely imperfectly, um, but that's the idea. That's what I do most mornings, um, and I try to get current with it so that it's not just like step work as I did it the first time, but whatever's up for, up for me right now. Um, and I kind of run through the whole deal. I'm powerless. Um, that's my second 12. Okay. i um, powerless for food by session. blah, blah, blah. Um, And I'll go through it, and when I get to um, the third step um, and hand my will and my life over, I'll also hand over anything that, like, particularly needs to be handed over then. Like, you know, if it's um, food or body, fine, but it may be a relationship. I find often um, it's a relationship. Usually it's – usually – there's somebody in my life or a couple somebody in my life whose opinions of me I have to hand over daily, you know. And sometimes for a long time, by the way. I, I would love to say that I'm one of those people that pray for people for two weeks and then magically I feel better and I love them. But I, maybe I'm a grudge holder, but I find there, there are people, I have a couple people I've been praying for for years, like years, people, you know. And, that you know, that's the best I can do. It's not, it's not for me to remove my own resentments. That's you know, for my higher power to do. But, I mean, I'm sitting up, I'm showing up, I'm doing the dental floss and saying the prayers. Um, So um, I'll hand over whatever needs to be handed over in regards to step step three. Um, Ten steps are something that I do not formally write every day, um, but that I would say that I work nearly every day. But it's usually... um, I can't remember if it's in the big book or the AA 12 and 12 that talks about spot check inventories. Um, I love that. I really love that because in, in school for a long time when I was a kid, I was a very good little student. And I, I, I hate being a good little student now. I still kind of do it. I think if you asked my sponsor, she'd say I'm, I'm kind of a good girl. Um, but I really hate it. And I really love that the big book gives me a way that I don't have to sit down and do homework and sharpen a pencil and get everything all neat. I don't have to light a candle and make it all perfect. I can be, like, running errands in my car, distracted, and just go, wait a second. I I can take an inventory right then and there in a really sloppy but effective way. I can go, okay, I just cut that guy off and throw that guy pissed me off because he cut me off and then, okay, hey, that was messed up. Then what did I do? I cut him off and now I'm holding grudge and, so, and I can hand it over and like there's an inventory right there. And I love just how sloppy and functional that is. I love that it doesn't require much more from me other than a, and a, deci- a decision to keep working my program. Um, woo! Step 12 is, I guess, what I'm doing right now. Um, which for me is like by far the most magical thing um that 12 Steps has to offer um love being a sponsor I absolutely love it I love my sponsor and I get a lot from her but I think that uh, being a sponsor is probably the most useful thing that I can do um I have done volunteer work and work outside of OA but I find that there's really no there's not one thing on earth that can do for my self esteem and my self worth um what being of service in Overeaters Anonymous can do. Um, that is the magic. Oh, by the way, that part is magical for me. Like, I know I said, uh, oh, 45, 50 minutes ago, something about um, food was immediate and instant gratification, and I don't always find that with step work and all that. But I will say that being a service is pretty instant gratification for me. I mean, if I'm in my head and I'm funky and a sponsee calls um, or a newcomer calls, and I have to take a little time to help them, I I feel pretty magically reversed out of my state. And that's pretty immediate. Um, And I'm very grateful for that. Um, Yeah, Because I like instant gratification. Um, What else do I need to talk to you about of importance today? Because I definitely want to get to some questions. How much more time do I have? Okay, I'll do a couple more, because when the, te- the ten minutes includes the questions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to have some. Um, briefly on my life today, um, I have been abstaining from, well, compulsive eating for seven and a half years now. Um, what that means to me, bottom line, is I don't binge. Um, there, are, there are plenty of behaviors that I don't do that I don't include in my bottom line abstinence, um, but they were just kind of lifted. I never really had to make any kind of commitment about it. Um, I love that. I love that my higher power um, takes things from me that um, I, don't have, I don't even have to will them to be gone. They're just, if it's in the way, if it's impeding my ability to be of service, God gets rid of it, and I love that. Um, actually, in fact... Uh, laxative abuse was one of those things. It was not something that I ever made part of my bottom line abstinence um, and even continued to dabble, you know, like you know, in a very moderate way, whatever that means, um, when I first got abstinent. And gradually it just became something that was not an option, not interesting, not possible, and, and besides the point. Um, And that was just listed. Um, um, So I've been abstaining now predominantly from compulsive eating and very much so also from the laxative bulimia, but definitely from binging for seven and a half years. Um, I work in an industry that is um, fitness and body oriented. Well, I work in the fitness industry. So um, um, I don't know why. it's. I mean, I think I'm allowed to say that I work in the fitness industry. In any case, uh, it's an outside issue. I don't want to get into that. But my point is that I'm in a mirror all day long, and I am one-on-one working with people, predominantly women, who are talking to me about their bodies all day long. And um, it is absolutely recovery in this program that makes it that I can endure that. Because I have to say, you guys may have noticed there's not a lot on the planet that is more boring than hearing somebody talk about their own body. <laughs> <laughs> if you survive this disease, if you survive survive the boredom of hearing your own incessant body chatter, listening to other people's really ain't no fun. And you know my sponsees are obviously not paying me, so when they get into it. I can tell them, uh oh, this is not going down. We're going to get into recovery. We're going to talk steps. Unfortunately, with work, there's an exchange of money. I've I got to be there. I've got to show up. I've got to listen, you know. Um, and I'm able to do that um, because of this program. And it doesn't, other than annoy me, it doesn't spin me. It's not sending me back into the food. It's not sending me back into my own body obsession. Um, it just puts me in a position to be of service that I'm really grateful for. Um, I have a... Very loving husband, who's my best buddy, um, which I do not think that I ever would have even met without this program. I was very, very closed off from the world. Um, and um, not available, you know, not ava- certainly not available to the kind of man that my husband is um, without this program. And I'm grateful for that, too. Um There's a lot of peace. There's a lot of quiet. There's a lot of, like, not in here. Um, That's the coolest part for me, personally. I'm glad that I'm not overeating anymore. I'm really glad. Um, But I'm really glad that there isn't, like, incessant talking and chatter and figuring it out. Do you like me? What do you think of me? How does this look on me? And can I wear that? And... You know, what am I going to eat for lunch? I mean, you know, breakfast, planning dinner. You know, dinner, planning dinner next week. Oh, so quiet in here. I love that. I love that, love that. Um, I think I want to leave it there because I definitely want to have time for questions um, because it would feel very strange to do a whole meeting without having an inter- interaction. So um, thank you so much for letting me be of service. And I So how does this go now? Hands raising kind of thing. Is that where we are? Okay, cool. Questions? Yeah. Um, did you in your bottom or whatever? Did you ever have a point where it was hard to look in the mirror, like especially through a dance class? Oh my gosh. If so like, what's the recovery? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's still hard sometimes. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, so she asked me. Um, If it was ever, like in my bottom in the old days, hard to look in the mirror sometimes, like in dance classes, et cetera, and um, part two. What's the recovery? What's the recovery version? Okay. They're pretty different. Um, The old version was that it was so hard that it spun me out and out of life. Like there was no way that I could show up in that headspace. And, oh, here's something about amends in fact. One of the things that I had to make a lot of amends for was all of the things that I canceled because I couldn't show up, because I couldn't handle what I looked like in the mirror and therefore what I thought you were going to think I looked like and blah, blah, blah. Um, What it looks like today is um, I'm still a compulsive eater. I I still am very entitled to a chair in this room. Like, I still, the voice comes in. It's not lasting, and I don't indulge it. So I, I believe that I still probably don't see myself super accurately, but I don't know how many people see themselves accurately, whether or without our disease. Um, so I look in the mirror, I might have that thought, but I don't indulge it. I say a little prayer, and I take an action that's contrary. You know? Um, so you said that there's peace now, which is awesome, but do you ever have times when their obsession comes back, not necessarily about body or food, and... If so, what, 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 is the, what actions do you take to be the solution? Um, I, I have two answers to that. I, I, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, um, she was asking me if obsession ever comes back for me, possibly about food and body, but also maybe about other things and what do I do and what's the recovery, how do I work a program around it. Okay. Um, I don't find that food or body obsession really have come back for me at all in these years. But I I should qualify that. When I say obsession, I mean obsession. That doesn't mean that food or body thoughts don't periodically come up. But obsession to me is like nonstop, like, you know, the hamster wheel going and going and going. But there may be a fleeting thought. Um, And I think the fleeting thought thing is what we actually just talked about in the last question. Um, As far as obsession, right now I'm obsessed with death, frankly. Um, Very scared of dying kind of person. Um, and I, I love my life. That's part of it. I really love my life exactly how it is, and I don't want anything to change. So there's some fear of change and death and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I pray. I pray. Um, and I find that what it does is, for whatever reason, this period of my life, that's up. So it, my prayer has not erased that obsession from my universe but it quiets it in the moment. Um, I'm kind of able to say, Dear God, here's what's going on in my brain right now. Can you take it? And I assume that it's then being taken care of, and I'm, like, off-duty. Like, literally off-duty. Like, hang the, hang the be-back-in-five-minute sign on the door. I am not dealing with this issue. Um, and in the early days, that's what I did with the food and body thing. Like, I just... I can't fix this. I'm obviously powerless over death, you know, and i am we've established now I'm powerless over food and body obsession. I'm, I'm powerless of what people think of me. All the various things I can obsess over, I can't do anything about, so I'm off duty. And I'll chat with my higher power, and I'll assume that he's got my back. He, she, it, whatever. I'll assume it's taken care of. Oh, thank you, can you yes. talk about your with the scale and the Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, she asked me about my relationship with the scale and, uh, and accountability, like accountability in terms of measuring, <clears throat> quantifying how I'm doing or whatever. Um, when I was, I don't know, in my first month or two of program, my sponsor made me ceremoniously throw out my scale. Um, that works for me. Totally works for me. I don't, I don't step on scales at all. Um, I do it at the doctor's office. I face away. Um you know, it's, it's very possible that seven and a half years in, I could get on a scale and see the number and be fine. But let's not tempt the fates. You know, it's work. It's work. So uh, it, that's information that I don't need. Um, you know, the deal is I have a higher power. And I choose to call him and whatever God. And that's who I answer to, not the scale. And I, don't, I personally don't know how to do scale without making scale my higher power. You know, and if I could, then it might be a useful tool, but it's not. Um, as far as quantifying my success without a scale, oh gosh, there's a gazillion ways to quantify my recovery without a scale. Um, the fact that I can stand here now um, and share with you guys, and and you know, haven't gained or lost any weight in seven years, and I know that because I clothes are the same size. My clothing size tells me um, the fact that I can stand naked in front of my husband and not think twice about... I mean, should be obvious. I'm a married woman. I should be able to stand naked in front of my husband, but I couldn't do that before. I mean, I was so preoccupied. I just... I don't know. I don't care. I, I don't... You know what it is? The really, the, true, the really true answer? I don't need to quantify my recovery. And I... I'm, I, it's, I have conviction that it's there. And... Um, God damn that scale if it's going to take that away from me. You know? Really. Like, I'm not interested. You know, Um, but it almost makes me mad to think that that awful scale could dare to threaten my recovery. No way, you know, no way. So I I hope that answers your question. I don't know, but, yeah. I was just wondering how long you were absent. before you found you could be, like, present and available in a relationship with, say, your husband. Uh, Well, I met my husband. I had four-ish years since absent. What does that timer mean? Anything? Wrap up this question. oh okay um, uh, I was a few years absent when my, when I met my husband um, oh she asked me uh, how long it took before I felt available for relationships I don't know there's a, there's a thing that goes around in a parent program um, about not getting into relationships for a year um, that sounds good to me that's my personal opinion I, I think there's something to that I think that My first year, I was in a pretty good fog. I mean, it took a long time for me to really um, shed a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know exactly, but I know that it was a few years in until I met my husband, and it was after a lot of inventories, including an epic 166-page sex inventory. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. That was part of it. That was part of it. yeah, I highly recommend. That's my commercial for sex inventory. <laughs> <laughs> That—that's all the time we have. I'm done. You guys are-